0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I never believed in the existence of Bigfoot until I heard the story of the lady from the music store. She had reported seeing the creature in Yosemite State Park, California. I was intrigued by her description of the creature, dark and running away in a piston, like motion with all its arms. However, I had my suspicions about the report, as the possibility of mine altering drugs was suspected. My doubts were further confirmed when I mentioned a similar report by another lady who claimed to have seen Bigfoot at Multnomah Falls in Oregon while using LSD. It was difficult to tell if these were real sightings or just hallucinations caused by the drugs. Despite my skepticism, I couldn't shake off the feeling that there was something more to these reports. I decided to investigate further, and it wasn't long before I found myself deep in the woods near Multnomah Falls, searching for any signs of Bigfoot. As I wandered through the dense forest, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. I was alone, and the trees seemed to tower over me, casting long shadows that played tricks on my mind. But I pushed on, determined to find any evidence of the elusive creature. As the sun began to set, I spotted something moving in the distance. I crept closer, heart racing, and saw a dark figure darting between the trees. It was Bigfoot. I froze, unsure of what to do. Should I approach it or keep my distance? My curiosity got the better of me, and I slowly walked towards the creature. But as I got closer, it vanished into thin air. I was left standing alone in the forest, my mind reeling from what I had just witnessed. As I made my way back to civilization, I couldn't stop thinking about the encounter. Was it real, or was it just my mind playing tricks on me? I may never know for sure, but one thing was certain— The legend of Bigfoot was far from over. I saw what I believe was a Sasquatch about five years ago. I was 16 years of age. I was volunteering as a counselor at a day camp. A friend and I went for a walk on the trails within the camp. We were cleaning trails and we also brought our lunches, which we planned to eat later. We were on the outskirts of camp, maybe half mile from main camp, very close to the Moala River. I was about 60 feet from a muddy creek, kind of a swampy area. I remember sitting down to eat lunch, and my friend realized that he had left something back at camp that he needed. I can't remember what he went to get, maybe a tool or something to drink. So he left, and I remained seated on a log waiting for him to come back. I expected the jog to take maybe 10 minutes. He had been gone for at least seven minutes when I heard something in the woods to my left. I stood up to get a better look at what it was. What I observed was a massive hairy man, like animals standing next to a large tree. I think it was a cedar. It was about fifty feet away. I estimate that it was about eight feet tall. I stood about five feet nine in. At that time, and it was far taller than me. It was also very wide and bulky looking. The fur was thick and fairly long, maybe six inches and medium brown in color. It looked directly at me for a few seconds. We had solid eye contact. It had dark-colored eyes. It seemed to be shocked or surprised and was deciding what to do. It stepped to its. Its right my left behind the large tree and immediately began to run away. I could not see it run away because the tree blocked my view, but I definitely heard it. It sounded very heavy. The footsteps could be heard clearly. It was snapping down branches as it ran, creating a lot of noise. It sounded very powerful. I listened to it run away for maybe 10 seconds, and then I turned around and ran back on the trail towards camp. I met up with my friend on his way back to meet me. In the heart of the sprawling local national park, nestled among towering trees and ancient rocks, stood a forgotten library. Its dusty shelves held secrets of the past, stories and documents that whispered of a time long gone. It was in this quiet repository that I, a park ranger, stumbled upon a weathered parchment, like map that would unravel mysteries beyond my wildest imagination. The map was a curious thing, depicting a route through the park's wilderness that led to a hidden creature's lair. Intrigued by the idea of uncovering such a secret, I decided to embark on this unexpected journey. Armed with a map, a backpack of essentials, and a heart full of determination, I ventured into the remote and challenging terrain. The first leg of the journey was exhilarating yet demanding. I traversed dense forests, waded through meandering streams, and climbed rugged cliffs. Each step brought me closer to understanding the significance of the journey. Along the way, I discovered remnants of structures long abandoned and reclaimed by nature, hinting at a civilization that once thrived in the heart of this wilderness— The map's clues led me deeper into the park's interior, where I encountered various natural obstacles and the diverse array of wildlife that called this place home. I watched in awe as majestic eagles soared overhead, and marveled at the grace of deer that moved silently through the undergrowth. Despite the challenges, I felt a sense of purpose and connection with the land that I had never experienced before. As the sun dipped below the horizon, casting an orange glow across the landscape, I arrived at the location indicated on the map, before me lay a cave, its entrance shrouded in shadow. With a deep breath I stepped inside, the damp, earthy smell filling my senses. The cave's darkness enveloped me, and my flashlight cast eerie shadows against the walls. Deeper within the cave, a low growl echoed off the walls, sending shivers down my spine. I cautiously continued, heart pounding in my chest, until I saw a form emerging from the shadows. The creature stood before me, a monstrous entity, unlike anything I had ever seen. Its arms were overlong, nearly touching the ground, and its fingers were adorned with eight-inch claws that glinted in the faint light. A sheen of silver hair covered its body, giving it an unworldly appearance. Its massive feet were covered in hair, like those of a giant human, but with a wild and untamed quality. And then there was its head, resembling that of a grizzly bear with scars that told tales of fierce battles and untold stories. Yet within those piercing blue eyes, there was an air of ancient wisdom that defied explanation. The creature locked eyes with me, and in an instant it charged. Adrenaline surged through my veins as I reached for the knife I had brought along. The battle was fierce, a clash of wills and strength as we grappled within the cave's confines. I managed to gain the upper hand, thrusting the knife into one of its eyes. The creature's pained scream reverberated through the cavern, and it retreated, disappearing into the depths of the cave. Breathing heavily, I emerged from the cave— the weight of what I had just witnessed settling upon me. I called for backup, my voice shaking as I relayed the encounter to my fellow rangers. Their responses were skeptical, the disbelief evident in their voices. Days turned into weeks, and as life in the park returned to its usual rhythm, the memory of the encounter lingered in my mind. The scars on my body were a tangible reminder of the battle I had fought and the map remained a testament to the mysteries that could be uncovered in the most unexpected of places. Though the creature was never seen again, I knew that the experience had changed me. I had unearthed not only a hidden secret, but also a deeper connection to the park and its history. As I patrolled the land, I couldn't help but wonder about the stories that the ancient trees whispered and the secrets that the wilderness held close to its heart. This was an experience that happened when I was a kid, probably 8-10. I'm 22 now, for reference. There used to be this park in the summers my dad would take me to. He would play basketball in the section where the courts were, and I would play in the section with the park equipment. One day I was on a swing set, and this couple came up and started talk to me. There was a man and a woman with a black stroller. Uh, I don't think I ever saw a baby in the stroller. I remember it always being faced away from me. This may have been a normal interaction and eventually interactions, but something felt very off or like, dreamlike about the encounter. Sis, I was even able to pick up on it at that age. The man in the couple was wearing blue jeans and a red and white plaid checkered shirt, but he looked odd like kind of clammy pale or jaundiced gray. I also remember his eyes being very penetrating. The woman had on a dress and, I think, had medium-length brown hair. I can't remember her face. No matter how hard I try, though, she looked more normal from what I remember. The best way to describe the Mons hair would be kind of blonde, ashen, and artificial-looking. Kind of sticky up, lots of flyaways, and in a sort of bowl-cut style, I think. I can't remember exactly what we talked about, but I think it revolved around God, religion, and it was a fairly short interaction, probably about ten minutes. The weirder part is that I saw them later at a completely different park at a different date. Could have been weeks or months, and they were in the exact same outfits with the exact same stroller, It looked like only five minutes had passed, but it was a completely different location at a different time. I can remember feeling apprehensive and off when I saw them again. Strangely, I can't remember if I talked to them or not a second time. And the last key to the story is that when I told my dad about seeing this couple multiple times as a kid, he said that maybe they were angels, and I remember that intensely freaking me out for some reason. Now, there could be a perfectly rational explanation for this, but more recently, I've been doing more spiritual work and growth, as well as scientific, astrophysical, biological, quantum physics, theory, extra, etc. Research in this memory resurfacing prompted me to share it. It's not the first time I recall this happening, but it is the first time I feel like I could maybe get some explanation. Aliens? Interdimensional beings? Otherwise, I'd be happy to provide any more context about my life, if it's helpful, or the encounters, if I can remember. I was sleeping in my big rig with the engine off, and my alarm was set for 4.15 a.m. Something woke me up five minutes before I was supposed to get up. I got out of the truck to have a look around and saw nothing. I then got back into the truck when I heard a sound that made my skin crawl. It was a loud, high-pitched whooping sound that echoed throughout the forest. I've never heard anything like this before. About a year later, me and my son were watching the Discovery Channel, or the Learning Channel, about Bigfoot, and they had what was supposedly the sound from a Bigfoot. It was the very same sound and again it made my skin crawl and the hair on my neck stand up. My son thought it was very funny that his dad was standing on the couch like a scared old lady when we heard it. It's been years since it happened, but I still remember it as if it were yesterday. My cousin and I were working in the outbuilding, tinkering with some tools and chatting about life. The day was bright and sunny, the kind of day that makes you feel good to be alive. Suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a strange movement near the door. I turned my head to get a better look, and my heart skipped a beat. A black smoke mist was drifting through the crack, and it was heading straight towards us. At first, I thought it was just smoke from a nearby fire. But as it got closer, I realized that it was something else entirely. It had a shape, a form, almost like a tall man in a long coat with a top hat. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but there it was right in front of us. The mist walked about ten feet to the wall, turned around, and walked back towards the door. I was too stunned to move, too scared to speak. My cousin was staring at it with wide eyes, his jaw hanging open. Then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the mist sucked out through the crack in the door. We both sat there in silence for a moment, trying to process what we had just witnessed. It was as black as wood stove soot, but it looked like a mist. It was a tall man in a long coat with a top hat, broad daylight. How could something like that be real? Was it a hallucination, a trick of the light, or something else entirely? We never spoke about it again, my cousin and I. But it stayed with me all these years, a memory that I can't shake and sometimes when I'm alone in a quiet room, I can't help but wonder if it will ever happen again. I was camping alone in the middle of the plains in North Dakota. A storm blew in and I was stuck in my tent under some trees and got a super strange feeling. I had two phones on me at the time. One had internet and was for navigating and the other was just for cell reception. All of a sudden, one of the phones starting ringing, and I looked at the caller ID. The call was coming from my other phone, which was closed and in my hand. I'm not a trucker, but I was driving home from a long night of work, and I see a cop car turn and go behind me on the highway. I slowed down a bit, even though I wasn't speeding, because that's my natural reaction when I see a cop. Anyway, he pulled behind me, and I was watching the cop in my rear-view mirror, and when I looked back at the road ahead of me, that same cop car, just like appeared in front of me, I looked back, and there was no other car behind me. His license plate said K-9, so I knew it was a cop. There was no passing lane, and he was a ways behind me, so there was no way he could have passed me really fast. When he was in front of me, he turned on his blinker and was going to take a left turn. I went in the bypass lane and looked at him through the window, and I shit you not, he didn't have a face. I knew somehow that we made eye contact, but he didn't have a face. It was just sort of like a black silhouette or something. No, the cop wasn't just a black guy. I've watched videos, and the men in black come up and shit like that, so yeah, that's my weird experience. My family is from Gallipolis, Ohio, the town right across the river from Point Pleasant. About half of my life was spent there, and honestly, I think he's real. I have some family who live out in the country, and a good number of them have seen Mothman or encountered him. I might have had an encounter, but I'm not 100% sure, only because it was late at night, and it was hard to see. I'd been at the movies, and something swooped in front of my windshield, something big. I heard a scraping sound on the roof of my car in the AM. Five scratch marks down to the primer were in the paint, spaced like human fingernails. One of the creepiest moments of my life. I hadn't believed it before, but I did after that. There aren't any owls in southeastern Ohio that big. It was bigger than my windshield, about five feet wide by 3.5. Owls also don't have five toes that spread like fingers. It was Monday night morning after I got off of work. Slight backstory. Husband and I got those walkie-talkies that are long-range and can sometimes pick up other frequencies. For our young son to take one with him when he goes outside to play or over to a friend's house. So we can check in and keep tabs, etc. He is old enough to play outside or at one of our nearby neighbor's houses without us there. But not old enough for his own phone. I worked nights in an office and got home just before 3 a.m., went into the kitchen to grab myself a glass of water and suddenly heard one of the walkie-talkies go off and a deep raspy just above a whisper, Mayo voice, say hello, nearly dropped the water. I turned off the damn walkie-talkie and then thought to myself that obviously my husband was messing with me with the other walkie-talkie from the bedroom. I went into the room and asked him, are you messing with me? And as he rolls over and starts to say no from our bed, the other walkie-talkie goes off, across the room from where he is and on the desk right next to where I am standing. The same damn creepy, deep, raspy hello. I turned that one off, made sure all of the doors and windows were locked, and buried myself under a million blankets. Let me preface by saying that the house, located at 9,000 feet in Colorado, was built in the 1870s according to information from the Historical Society. It was built up against the side of a mountain, and the entrance to an old mine shaft is directly behind the kitchen wall. It's also not far from several old cemeteries. Within the first month that I lived there, I woke up at 4 a.m. one morning to very intense pain in my foot. There was a little bit of light that came into the room from one of the street lamps outside so it wasn't completely pitch black. As I opened my eyes to look down toward my foot, I saw the silhouette of a very short man at the end of the bed by my feet. It was only for a second, but the details that are forever seared into my memory is that he was short, maybe only five feet tall, was wearing a top hat with a brim, and had a white or gray beard. The pain in my foot was very strange, too my foot was very hot and felt like it was being crushed or squeezed in a vice. I haven't felt a similar pain to that either before or after that night. The shadowy man fit the description of an old manor pretty well as far as I could tell. Another night later that year I was watching a movie when my peripheral vision saw something cross the hallway from a room into the hall closet. By this time I had lived there for a while and was pretty freaked out by all this stuff, so I literally just got up and left the house with the movie still playing and some of the lights still on. After clearing my head for about twenty minutes and feeling ridiculous for being so freaked out, I returned home. When I went back inside, I got even more freaked out because the TV had been turned off and the kitchen lights had been messed with. The kitchen lights were track lights and were all now pointed toward the back wall of the kitchen where the mineshaft entrance was. That event made me reconsider living there. Several times I could just feel something there, and the hair on my scalp would just tingle. That's a bad feeling if you've never had it. Most of the weird stuff that happened was in the first year or so that I lived there, and I got used to it eventually. I also got a dog, and that helped a lot. The last several years I lived there were uneventful. I kind of want to contact the new owners and ask them what they've experienced. If you ever get the chance to live alone in an old miner's cabin for a while, it'll definitely spice up some of your evenings. When I was about seven or eight, we moved in with my mom's boyfriend and his daughter. His daughter, let's call her Dee Dee, age three, was very sick as a baby, and was in and out of the hospital a lot. She had imaginary friends like every other kiddo at the age of three has. She used to play in her room and talk to her friend Johnny a lot. Eventually, after a couple months, I felt like something was watching me and with me at all times. Not in a scary way, but a curious way. Every once in a while, I would see a woman or a child walking the halls or hear a child laugh when deed was sleeping in her bed one night when i was home alone for a couple hours babysitting i walked past the attic to the bathroom when i turned around to close the door i seen a woman in old victorian clothes walking down the hall and up the stairs to the attic i figured i was just tired and seeing things a couple days later i was talking to my mom's boyfriend and mentioned it to him turns out that the house was well over 250 years old, and there was a family that lived there that had died in a house fire in the early 1900s. A wife, husband, and their little boy, Johnny, dad. He told me Deed was being watched over by Johnny since the day she came home from the hospital. Right before Deed would get sick and end up needing a hospital visit, she would tell her dad that Johnny was sick and needed medicine, like Johnny was telling her that she was going to get sick. She was healthy for a couple of years after that. We ended up moving and our parents got married. Everything was going good. Six years later, Deed randomly mentions Johnny one day. He said she had a dream about him and he was sick. About two weeks later, they found a tumor on her stomach and she had to be life flighted to a children's hospital to have emergency surgery. Surgery was successful and no cancer was found. She said she felt like she was missing something after she recovered, but didn't really know what. It's been ten years, and she hasn't been sick. Not even a little cold. We don't talk about this anymore in case we jinx her or something. Grandma was into the further stages of Alzheimer's. She had been dealing with it for over a decade, I believe, and essentially she was just a husk. What I mean here is that she didn't know anyone anymore, couldn't speak, and she would only eat when fed and sleep when put in bed. No real acknowledgments or talks could be had. Well, this is the latest stage, and she had been like that for well over a year. If not two, and she could have passed away at any time in that stage. I went on holiday to Spain with friends, I think on the second to last night before going home. I had a dream about her. Note, I never dream vividly or about persons in my life that make any sense. So this dream was already odd. I was in her old house where family took care of her in the early stages of Alzheimer's. Later, she moved to a nursing home. She was crying and wincing about not being able to find the exit and generally wandering and walking through every room in the house. I wanted to speak to her, but no response, so I just gave in and opened the back door, which we regularly used. She stopped crying, walked out, and kind of faded into nothingness. I woke up, weirded out by the dream and the fact I remembered it. Fast forward through the day, we spend a nice day. I don't join one of the activities along with a friend, and we take a walk and sit down for a drink. Cue a call from my parents, and then I already knew. She had died that night in her sleep. Chills were kind of rolling down my spine as we were so far apart, and no communication about the situation was transferred. It was a very odd feeling, and statistically speaking, something like that can happen but what are the odds for a dream that's specific to happen at that time in the end i kind of like it that a mime released her either from memory or the misery that had become her life i hope she is faring well wherever she is along with grandpa it started happening at the end of july over a span of a month or so my then 23 months old "'Daughter sleeps in an office-turned-nursery connected to my room. "'It is small in size with one window "'and is relatively dark due to a blackout shade. "'One can make out most detail once eyes adjust, "'meaning the corners are dark but not pitch-black. "'I was standing beside her crib as is routine, "'singing a lullaby and rocking her. "'She was looking around the room and at me "'when suddenly her eyes find the corner to the left of the window. Immediately, she gets a big grin and starts to wave. Of course, I look in the direction she was waving, but see nothing. Decide that it's toddler antics. Kiss her and put her to bed. A few days or a week goes by with nothing. Then during nap time, one day, same thing. Same corner. She's looking around the room. I'm rocking her gently. Her eyes fall upon the corner, and she starts to smile again and wave. I say, what are you waving at? she doesn't say anything about it this happened a few more times always at naps or bedtime and always the same corner never seemed scared so i decided it had to do with a shadow or something in that corner blank wall but whatever well a few days later same routine holding her and singing a lullaby it had happened with enough frequency that i'm starting to anticipate when her eyes fall on a different place in the room, and she starts to smile and wave. I got chill bumps immediately. I asked her what she was waving to, what did she see, and got nothing. Kissed her and put her down. We left to go out of town the next day for a week. Another dark room. Same routine. Nothing. No waves. No smiles. Normal bedtime. When we got back to the house, I had put all of it to the back of my mind while unpacking, etc. Bedtime books start to sing her a lullaby and rock her while she sleepily looks around the room, when suddenly she picks her head up, starts waving happily in the direction of the original corner. This time as she's waving and smiling, she says bye-bye. She has not waved since that night. I do security work at night, and it is isn't a big fenced in yard, kind of like in a rural area. One night I was getting ready to go to the restroom, you know, to the building, and one minute I was walking, and the next minute I was in front of four. what well, I called the bird people, because they stood about four feet. Their faces were kind of humanoid, but, you know, between a human and a bird. Their body it was, you know, it It was shaped like a bird, and it had, it looked like a bird, but their face was different. Their faces were different. It wasn't exactly a bird face, but between a human and a bird, kind of flat gray. Their eyes were kind of slit, and the nose was kind of, you know how a bird nose looks. But it was in front of the face, and had kind of a small mouth, and it was just for a few seconds. I'm not the kind of person to see things, even though I know a lot about different phenomena. It's still really fresh in my mind because it was different beings, and I did have the sense that they were very intelligent. And then the next thing I was heading towards the restroom, and I was thinking it was interdimensional or an out-of-body type of thing. This was kind of like out in the open, and I'm thinking these beings wanted me to see them. They were standing apart. There were four of them. and they were just looking at me and I was just looking at them. The next night I was just sitting in my car patrolling like I always do and I heard this beautiful melody. It was like a bird and a human. It was like they were singing to me. It was like they know I had acknowledged them and they had acknowledged me. It was like the most beautiful sound, an enchanting melody. It was like they were singing to me. I myself am an avid hunter, and outdoorsman, and I have had many encounters with something that I just can't comprehend. My first incident was up on the Kalawash River in a primitive campsite. We were the only campers around, and at about 11.30 at night, my girlfriend told me that someone was outside my camper. So I got up and ran outside to surprise any peeper or weirdo that might have been around our camp. Nothing, not no one was around. I tried convincing my girlfriend, who is now my wife of eleven years, that no one is out there. I tried sleeping for a few minutes and felt that someone was staring into my soul, if you will. A very uncomfortable feeling. It almost feels like you're going to get sick if you've never experienced it before. We got the hell out of there and drove all the way back to town. My other experience came on opening day of Westside Deer rifle season in 1998. I was making an evening hunt heading west down Lukens, off of senior thousand five hundred forty. I parked at the gate and hiked down the creek no more than a mile when on my right side I heard something kicking shale loose up in the canyon wall. I automatically raised my rifle, thinking a whole herd of deer were side-hilling the canyon, but nothing. I walked another 100 yards, or so, and I heard it again and again. I raised my rifle, but still nothing. It was almost dark, and there are no roads on Susap. Open to the public, and I can't think of an animal that beats rocks together. There is a lot of activity going on in this area, and my resources are limited to what I can do. But I do know the area very well, and if I went back there tomorrow and hiked around enough, it would find me. My best friend is a dog named Nessie and she follows me absolutely everywhere I go. She is a seven-year-old Black Lab Sheltie mix who is the light of my life. Anyway, I woke up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and she didn't follow me. Weird, but not the first time. I assumed she was in deep puppy sleep. I finished my business, walk into the living room to get to the bedroom and I see Nessie. The light is low, but I have multiple tarantula terrariums that stay lit 24-7. But 15 feet in front of me is a black dog standing on my couch. It takes a step off the couch, and its legs were huge. Now, I have not experienced much paranormal stuff, but I have trained my whole life for this. At this exact moment, I have envisioned a million ways. Finally, a paranormal encounter. I've planned out what I would do in a spooky situation, and it is. Confrontation. Whatever I see, I know I will be terrified, but I will confront it. I will try to touch it, talk to it. We are doing the thing. So I'm looking at it, realizing it wasn't my dog, acknowledged in my head that this is paranormal and crazy as all heck. I acknowledge that I'm not scared, but that is scary. I then thought I should go to bed, and that's what I did. Attached is a knot, so good drawing on a napkin with said strange dog. I didn't expect my experience to be a dog with extra long legs. I was prepped for like a woman wearing 1800s garb or a shadow silhouette of a person. The thought to go to bed was definitely out of character for me. Like completely out of character... Okay, my husband and I are ghost hunters when we have the time. We had some interesting stuff happen in our first house, which was my late father-in-law's R.I.P. House we moved into. I never was scared. Mostly he opened doors as I walked to them. I believe to this day it was my father-in-law. When we got a cat, it wouldn't go in the hallway, and when it did, it would come racing back into the living room, and once I started keeping my boxer in the house, things stopped. It doesn't sound like any of your things are trying to hurt you or anything. Just state clearly that it's your home, and they are scaring your family, and they can stop, or they can leave. Another thing is if you're out of the house, leave a tape recorder going in the middle of the house. "'Stomp your feet and slam the door as you leave, so you know it's you. "'See what you catch of the recorder while you're gone.' "'My husband did that in his friend's house, and they heard people arguing, "'doors slamming, glass shattering. "'And nothing in the home was disturbed when they returned. "'But the recording was creepy. "'They still live there, but it's nothing scary or harmful, "'so they just live with it in peace.' Oh, by the way, the friend's house we later found out was built over a cemetery that they headstone were moved, but the bodies were left. They put in a cellar and it took three, four years to complete because they kept running into bodies. This is the only paranormal experience I've ever had, at least that I can remember. It was many years ago when I was eight years old. I randomly woke up in the middle of the night, not uncommon for me, and turned over in the bed to readjust. When I did that, I opened my eyes and saw a person or humanoid like figure wearing a black robe that covered over its head with a hood and draped down to its feet. I remember seeing a string around the hood as well. When I saw this thing, I instantly knew it was real. And I knew it wasn't a random person in my house. I didn't have words to explain the feeling, but I knew I wasn't dreaming, and it was not a figment of my imagination. It was way too real, and I remember the immediate fear that went through my body. The second I saw it, I grabbed my covers and yanked them over my head, went into fetal position, and closed my eyes. I was terrified. I didn't know what I was seeing, why there was some random person figure standing next to my bed. I laid there trying to calm myself down, refusing to remove the covers from over me. I felt protected under them. I eventually fell back asleep, and that was the end of it. I've never had any other experience even remotely like that. I grew up never mentioning it to anyone, thinking I'd be called crazy. Until I found this sub just now. I felt comfortable enough and wanted to share my experience and ask your guys' thoughts, opinions. My husband was deer hunting with his mom and our son in the middle of the Sierras, near La Porteognon Valley, and found what appeared to be two full jugs of wine, like the Carlo Rossi kind, off-trail miles from any habitable areas. They left them there, figuring it might have been someone's tribute to a friend or family member. Scattering of ashes and leaving tributes like this is pretty common among the long-time Sierra mountain folk, including my husband's own stepdad when he passed. I'd always loved hiking in the woods, and on this particular day I had decided to venture out alone, seeking some solitude and a chance to connect with nature. The morning was crisp and cool, and the sun cast a warm glow through the leaves as I made my way along the trail. As I rounded a bend in the path, I caught sight of something that stopped me in my tracks. There, in the middle of the trail, was a large brown creature running on all fours and staying low to the ground. It moved quickly, and as I watched, it dashed into the bushes, disappearing from sight. My heart raced, and my mind tried to make sense of what I had just seen. Was it just my imagination playing tricks on me, or could it have been a Sasquatch? the elusive creature of legend. I knew the stories of Bigfoot sightings, but I had never truly believed in them until that moment. I stood there for a moment, trying to process what I had witnessed. But as the initial shock wore off, a growing sense of dread began to take its place. What if there were more of these creatures nearby? What if they had babies, and I had just stumbled upon their territory?" Worse still, I started to wonder what the creature had been running from. It had seemed scared, and that thought sent a shiver down my spine. What if there were hunters in the area, tracking the creature, or something even more dangerous? I suddenly felt very alone and vulnerable on the trail. I glanced back the way I had come, my desire for solitude, now replaced by an overwhelming need for safety— Making a decision, I turned around and began retracing my steps. My pace quickening with each passing minute. As I hurried back to my car, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. The once tranquil forest now seemed menacing and filled with hidden dangers. The rustling of leaves and the snap of twigs underfoot only added to my unease. Finally, I reached my car, my heart pounding in my chest as I fumbled with the keys i climbed in slammed the door shut and locked it as i drove away i couldn't help but glance back at the woods wondering what secrets lay hidden within their depths from that day on my hikes were never quite the same the memory of that strange brown creature running on all fours haunted me and i always carried an uneasy feeling with me as i ventured into the woods I knew that I had encountered something extraordinary and that the unknown could be lurking just around the next bend in the trail. Just outside of Roswell, New Mexico, just before we were pulling up to a trailhead, I started seeing all these uniforms out in a field about a half mile away. I recognized right away that they looked like police doing a grid search. I'm a cop. As we got close enough to read their jackets, I saw Dia in a mobile crime unit van. We continued on and did our hike. On the way out a few hours later, we saw that they had moved alongside of the road, and now we're carrying paper bags marked evidence. Paper bags are typically used for evidence that will degrade from being kept in plastic, like anything containing blood body fluids, clothing, or weapons with potential DNA, etc. There had to be 100 officials out there between local state, FBI, and DEE. I searched the news for weeks and never found a single thing about it. The second and probably most creepy thing I've seen was a pack of dogs eating a dead horse outside of a reservation in Arizona. It was so bizarre. I'm from the East Coast, so I don't know if that's a thing out west in places with large feral dog populations. I guess they just eat whatever dead animals they come upon. My husband and I both still talk about that one to this day. Other than that, we've come across our share of creepy baby dolls, old abandoned tombstones predating the 1900s strange scary people who just seem... ...off. My hubs has done a lot more solo hiking than I have. I will have to ask him for more creepy stories. I know for sure he has one about hiking the Arizona. I'm a former long-time Airborne Ranger, having served for many years in 275 in Washington State. After my service, I was a Forest Service firefighter and disaster response contractor. Suffice to say, I'm a very experienced outdoorsman, professionally trained. In 2009, I was hiking in the Weyer High User Forest Reserve near Offutt Lake in western Washington State. The preserve was adjacent to the home of a buddy's father, and before setting off into the lumber, preserve his father had implored for me not to go hiking in there alone, as it was a very dangerous area, a very frightening area. He had lived there for 30 years and refused to let his kids ever step foot into the forest. Being a young, confident ranger, I laughed off his superstition and headed out into the virgin forest. It was an unusually hot and humid day in late spring, and I was armed with a Glock nineteen nine millimeter pistol and feeling very capable and competent. I had made it about three miles into the forest and came to a massive, bold section of perfectly manicured pine forest with no undergrowth. Just in spruce pine needle bed, as far as the eye could see, it looked like I was stepping down into a forest bowl the size of a modern football stadium. I got about halfway down the bowl, and literally every sound in the forest became totally, totally, deafeningly silent, all in an instant. It was as though I had stepped into a soundproof studio room in one step. No bugs, no wind, no ambient sound, nothing. By this time I had been to combat twice and graduated ranger school and was a pretty salty individual. But I am not ashamed to admit I was overcome with a feeling of fear, dread, deep guttural, paralyzing fear. I gathered myself together and turned around and practically ran the entire way back to Curtis' father's house, got in my truck and left and never went back. I've spent years thinking about what happened in those woods and to this day have no answers. I was completely sober, fully aware of my surroundings and in good spirits and health at the time of this incident with no mental, physical, or psychological issues. I cannot say what the incident was caused by, but I have never been so deeply in fear in my life. Even thinking about it now over a decade later makes me feel uneasy, as though whatever was in that forest is still there. All this I swear on my scroll to be true. In the fall of 1998, I went to Somerset, Vermont, to go camping along the Somerset River. A forest road runs up to an airfield with free dispersed campsites. It was first come, first serve, and in the summertime. It would be packed with kids partying and living their best lives, Still, my girlfriend and I planned this trip in the fall because the fall leaves in Vermont are something special to see, and we knew the campground would be empty in the middle of the work week during the off-season. I set up our tent and we walked around the woods, down to the river, and just enjoyed the season's natural beauty. We lay in the tent, talking as the sun went down and drifted off to sleep. Sometime in the night, I woke up to two voices outside the tent. It sounded like two men whispering to each other, but it wasn't in English. I couldn't distinguish what they were saying, but distinctly heard two male voices. Suddenly there was a long, low whistle from off in the distance, and I heard one of the men make a click sound in acknowledgement. Everything was quiet after that. I waited until sunrise and went outside the tent and looked around. I didn't see anyone. My heart was pounding in my chest and I was wide awake. I woke my girlfriend up, and we left. I still wonder where those guys came from and why they used whistling and clicking sounds to communicate. The Somerset Campground is far off the beaten path, and I didn't hear or see any signs of a vehicle. Rural Vermont has a lot of strange legends and folklore. Years after this happened, I learned about the Bennington Triangle and the disappearances of people in the 1950s. I left the state and joined the army a few months later. I've only been back to Vermont a few times since that, but I never camped there again. I've always been a loner, preferring the quiet company of the woods over the incessant chatter of people. Hunting was my escape, my way of reconnecting with nature and testing my skills. It was on one of these solitary hunts that I came face to face with something I could never have imagined. I had just purchased a brand, new night vision scope, and was eager to test it out in the deep woods. The darkness was thick like a heavy blanket draped over the landscape, but with my new scope, I felt as if I had been granted superhuman sight. The thrill of stalking my prey through the shadows sent a shiver down my spine. It was well past midnight when I found myself at the edge of a large clearing, scanning the area for any signs of movement. Suddenly I heard a sound that made my heart skip a beat, a woman's scream echoing through the night. It was a chilling sound, one that sent a wave of unease through my body, but as I looked closer through my scope, I saw something I couldn't quite make sense of. An animal-like shape rising from the ground appeared to be producing the sound. It was as if this creature was mimicking a human, sending its eerie cries out into the night. Fear gripped me and I muttered under my breath, this isn't right. Taking a deep breath, I raised my rifle and sent a couple of warning shots whizzing over the creature's head, hoping to scare it off. But to my horror, it didn't flinch. The screams continued, growing louder and more desperate. I knew I couldn't stay there any longer. Whatever this thing was, it wasn't natural and I wasn't about to stick around to find out what it wanted. With my heart pounding in my chest, I turned and sprinted back the way I'd come, my breaths ragging and uneven. As I made my way through the woods, the woman's scream still echoed hauntingly behind me. I didn't dare look back, fearing that the creature might be following me. I didn't stop running until I reached my truck, my hands shaking as I fumbled with the keys and jumped inside. That night I swore to myself that I would never venture into the woods alone again. The memory of that encounter haunts me to this day, and I can't shake the feeling that whatever that creature was, it's still out there, waiting for its next unsuspecting victim to stumble into its path. I'm a hunter. I like to hunt wild boar specifically. Though I have been deer hunting and have been known to get a turkey for Thanksgiving, I mostly hunt boar. For those of you that don't know, boar are a big problem in the United States. A sow can have two litters a year, and it's not uncommon for a litter to consist of ten or more pigs— Given that pigs eat anything and everything, it's not hard to see why the Department of Fish and Wildlife makes it legal to hunt them with almost no restrictions. In my state, it's illegal to hunt most large mammals with night or thermal vision scopes, with the exception of boar and coy. I'd been saving for a year mostly fun money. It's hard to explain to your wife that a scope that costs literally twice as much as the rifle I was mounting it on was worth it. But I did it. I took it to a range and sighted it in. There was an area that was peppered with boar activity that I knew would be perfect for a night hunt. It was easily accessible with my truck with easy-to-find spots that I could set up in that overlooked large easy-to-navigate clearing. The night started uneventful, mostly me tinkering with my new toy cycling through the settings. I was a little impatient. I'd spotted multiple deer, but they were out of season, and like I mentioned earlier, my current setup wasn't legal for deer. I moved to another spot I'd seen days earlier that probably wasn't much better than my first, but it gave me something to do, and a new angle to look around with my new scope. After an hour or so of glassing the area it dawned on me, this spot doesn't have much animal activity at all. No rabbit or owls. The deer that I'd seen were hundreds of yards from where I was. Why was this pocket of land so dead at night, but lively in the day? I'd set up around 10 p.m. and it was about 2 a.m. when I started to think about packing up, maybe setting up a target before I left and taking some practice shots. I heard a crunch come from the direction I came from before. I panned my scope over and saw the silhouette of a small bear pushing through the bushes. It's important to note that my scope isn't exactly night vision. It's a thermal scope, kind of like a black-and-white version of what you see in the Predator movies. I adjusted my range and zoomed in a little. I remember jolting a little when I saw that it wasn't really a bear. It was a man. Because he was so low and hunched over, I thought, I was looking at a young bear. Is that a game, Warden? It couldn't be. I would seen the headlights coming up the road from where I was perched. And where could he have walked from? I was 30 miles away from anything and on public land. I was about to call out when I adjusted my sights and noticed he was naked. No shoes, pants, or anything. I remember being disturbed by his movements, like a squirrel or something. Twitchy and grabbing at the foliage, sniffing around and palming the tree. Was that my tree? the one I'd been leaning against earlier. The thought terrified me. Could he smell me? Then he did something I still have nightmares about today. He squatted and placed his hands in the dirt between his feet and stared straight up like a dog mid-howl. And I heard it, a voice coming from that direction, a very compelling female voice. Help, I'm lost. There was a long pause, but neither of us moved a muscle. The center of my sights was trained at the dirt in front of his feet. I couldn't bring myself to aim directly at another person. It went against everything I'd been taught about firearms. Were they lost? Was this some guy that had gone crazy out here? Why was his voice so feminine? Help, please. I can't walk. The voice called out. That's when I called bullshit. Not only could he walk when I first saw him, he was traversing the land with ease for a naked person. "'so good I mistook him for a bear. "'That's a trap. "'This guy is trying to lure me to him "'with a damsel-in-distress routine. "'Luckily, the lack of activity before "'had caused me to pack up most of my gear. "'I think I may have left behind a hat and a sitting pad, "'but I didn't give a shit in that moment. "'I took my eyes off him for a moment to get my pack on. "'I buckled my chest strap and scrambled for my rifle. "'To my horror, he was in the same position.' but his face was staring in my direction, and I swear I saw a smile. The thermal scope has an effect that makes animals' eyes appear white. How the hell had he heard me get up and put my gear on? He must have easily been 150 yards away. F off, I screamed in that direction. He stood upright, and it hit me how tall and skinny he was. Easily six feet and very lean. He took a couple of long strides in my direction, and I instinctively sent a round sailing above his head into the tree line. He was freaky as hell, but he hadn't really threatened me. What would I tell the cops? I was unwilling and unready to shoot someone. He stopped dead in his tracks and hunched down on all fours. The next one will have you up. Go away! He stayed on all fours, and this time I had my sights trained on the center of him. His eyes were just above the grass like a large cat or something. I was trying to stop my trembling and knew that my voice had cracked a little on that last warning. I was terrified that standoff probably only lasted a minute or two. Maybe less, but it felt like forever. In an instant he bolted left towards the tree line opposite the road. So much for not being able to walk, I could barely keep him in my scope. He was moving so fast. He disappeared into the brush and I sent another bullet sailing high in his direction. I racked another round and tried to pocket that mag and swap for a fresh one, but I dropped it and didn't bother looking for it. I wasn't far from my truck, and I wanted to get out of there. I could hear him in the distaste, yelling in this weird sound that could have been a laugh or a cry. I scrambled up the trail and arrived at my truck, breathless. I tossed my gear into the cab, but kept the rifle in the passenger seat and sped off. For the longest time, I told that story from the perspective of having spotted some deranged crackhead living off the land like some kind of caveman. I reported it to fish and game, but all they did was scold me for hunting at night alone, never received an update. It wasn't until I told this story at a camping trip that my nephew told me about wendigos, rakes, and skinwalkers. My story scared the piss out of him because the spot we were camping was technically the same forest I'd seen the bastard, just 50 miles east of it. He was so spooked his mom, my cousin, had to take him home. She was really pissed. I've gone down the rabbit hole one, these scary stories. I'm not saying what I saw definitely was a wendigo or a skinwalker. I'm saying that if such a thing exists, I may have dodged quite the bullet that night. Or maybe it was just a tweaker, being Donnie Thornberry in the middle of the night. Either way, thought I'd share. Edit. Believe what you like. These are events, as I recall them. And no, I'm not a writer. My name is Jack Horvath, and I'm a Maine-based cryptid researcher. I've dedicated my life to unraveling the mysteries... Surrounding this elusive creature, over the years I've conducted countless interviews with witnesses who claim to have encountered the legendary beast. One particular incident from 2006 still haunts me to this day. I received a phone call from an Ellsworth couple who wanted to share their experience with me. Intrigued by their story, I decided to meet with them in person. We arranged to meet at a local cafe where I was introduced to the couple, Tom and Susan, and their close friend, a Native American man named Kai, who had accompanied them for support. As we sat down to talk, Tom and Susan recounted the chilling events of that fateful October night. They were driving south on Route One when they suddenly caught a glimpse of a figure on two legs on the left side of the road. The creature was backlit by a streetlight which allowed them to observe its tall, thin stature and exceptionally long arms. In a fluid motion, the creature hunched forward, placing its hands on the ground and bounded across the road on all fours. Tom and Susan were both stunned by the inhuman way the creature moved. Just as it was about to disappear into the woods on the other side of the road, a smaller, identical creature emerged and followed in a similar quadrupedal style As the couple shared their story, I could see the fear in their eyes. Kai, who had been listening intently, began to speak about his people's legends and beliefs surrounding Bigfoot. He explained that in his culture, these creatures are known as shadow walkers, beings that dwell between the realms of the living and the spirit world. He believed that Tom and Susan's encounter was not just a random sighting, but a brush with the unknown. I spent the next few weeks researching this particular sighting, speaking to locals, and combing the area for any evidence. Despite my best efforts, I was unable to find anything conclusive. However, the testimony of Tom, Susan, and Kai, combined with my own experiences and the countless other witness accounts I've collected, only strengthened my resolve to continue my search for the truth. As a Bigfoot researcher, I'm often met with skepticism and doubt. But every now and then I come across stories like this one, stories that challenge our understanding of the world and remind us that there are still mysteries waiting to be uncovered. And as long as there are witnesses like Tom, Susan, and Kai willing to share their experiences, I'll continue my quest to unravel the enigma that is Bigfoot.